Genesis chapter 3, guys. Are you ready for a good question today? That's a good question. Are you ready for a good question? A good question. You know, we took a survey. Um, like I said at the beginning of this series, a lot of times we as believers answer questions no one's asking. Right? That's called being irrelevant. <laughs> We're answering questions that nobody's asking. And uh, we need to be relevant, meaning we're listening to what people are, are interested about, questions that they're asking. We believe that God has an answer for every question. Do you believe that? Are you ready to hear some answers today? I know we all have questions, but I believe the Holy, the Holy Spirit is big enough to give us answers to our questions, right? And it's not just Jesus. We know that Jesus is the answer, right? But Jesus explains himself, right? Do you see that three years on the earth when, when the disciples walked with Jesus, he didn't ignore their questions. In fact, many times he understood the questions they had before they could even vocalize them, and then he was responding to it, right? God wants to answer our questions. He wants to answer the questions that the world has about current day things, right? God is not, God is not behind. He's out ahead. He doesn't want to keep people in the dark. He wants to give us the answers that we, we have questions to. And so today's question, and, and we, we, like we said, we, we took a, a survey. Today's question is, I feel like I'm stuck in a rut and life is passing me by, what should I do? And so I want to I begin by um, taking you back in my life to 10 years plus when we moved back from the, we moved back to the States from Italy. We were there in Italy for about eight years and uh, ministering there, moved back and so we were in transition and determining what the next step. We were praying out the next step. Have you ever been there? You're praying out the next step. While we were waiting on the Lord, a door opened at a company down in Buckhead for a period of three years. And so I worked down in Buckhead. And during that time, I felt like I was stuck in a rut. I'm just going to share some things that, that I haven't shared before and just be real transparent this morning. Can you handle that? I dealt with feelings of failure, defeat, and shame that, that I could never even imagine. I was, I was ashamed to even admit that I was dealing with thoughts of defeat and failure and shame. And I was dealing with this to the extent at one point that, that I had really thought that I'd missed God's direction in, in my life and that ministry was not a part of our future. And the thoughts that I dealt with were, were heavyweight. I mean, all day, all night, just thoughts. And uh, there came depression and frustration to the point that I began to blame myself and everyone around me for the place that I was at. 
I didn't want to be in that place at all. And I just knew in my heart that God had called our family into a place of ministry, but we weren't seeing it. I couldn't see anything but how I hated to go to work each day. And I felt like I was wasting my life because we were ministering before full-time. I mean, we've been in ministry full-time for 30 years. And here I was working again. And the devil, every morning I would get up, the devil would pound my mind with, see, you're not doing anything for the ministry. And I had to deal with that. I felt like I was wasting my, my life. And it seemed like we were in a setback. I didn't have the answers. And I could not make any sense of my life at the time. It was like I was walking in the dark. You ever been there? I would see God using other people that I had personally known for years and they were being used to do seemingly big things for the kingdom of God. The same, these same people graduated with us in Bible school the very same year. And uh, I would look at them, and they were going forward. They were gaining ground and increasing, and I was going backwards. And I began to covet being used like them. I wasn't wanting to be them, but I wanted to be used like them. I was coveting that, and it was a hard place. It was a place that I thought I had fallen into because of a wrong turn or a wrong decision that I made somewhere. And I was so frustrated that I could not see God working out some things in me before he gave me the next step. That's important. I was blinded, I was blinded by this dissatisfaction. And it was a while before God gave us the next step of ministry. And a big part of that was that I had to get my attitude right. It wasn't anything on the outside, guys. It was, it was all, all on the inside. And it was in me. And, uh, you know, there are a number of directions that I could go at this point with my, with my story. But, you know, I, I just want to say for, for years I've met with and talked with people that feel like they've, They've missed a turn and they're stuck in a rut and there's nothing in front of them and life's passing them by. And listen, if you're here this morning or if you're watching this video and you feel that way, listen, listen to me. God sees you. He loves you. He loves you. And I believe that he has an answer for you today. That today, he's going to take you by the hand, and you'll begin to step out of that rut. You'll begin to see what God wants you to see. Do you believe that this morning? You know, a rut has been said to be a grave with both ends kicked out. A rut <laughs> is like a grave with both ends kicked out. A rut really is a groove in the earth. It's like an indent caused by wheels. And it's also been identified as a boring routine that can be hard to break. If you're stuck in a rut, you've been doing the same old thing for too long. And if you see a groove in the ground, especially one caused by a bike or a car, it's a rut. And if a rut is deep enough, you get stuck in it, which may be why the word has another meaning. If your life has become boring, stale, monotonous, you're in a rut. 
You know, someone who works the same job for decades may feel like they're in a rut and need to make a change. Change. Change is an important word. You know, change is what breaks us out of a rut. The word breakthrough, right, is, is great on the other side of the break. <laughs> but there's break included in breakthrough. So something has to break before there's a change. And that break sometimes, uh, most times, is, is in us. There's uh, a dissatisfaction. So let's talk about dissatisfaction. Genesis chapter 3, dissatisfaction. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They had no need of anything. I want you, I want you to remember the, the Garden of Eden, when God created the Garden of Eden and put Adam and Eve in the middle of it, they had no need for anything. They had all they needed. But here's the plan of the enemy coming for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 5. Here's the enemy. Here's the voice of the enemy. For God knows that when you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So really what the, de what the, what the devil, what the enemy is saying is, you know, there's something more. There's something more that God hasn't given you that you need. In other words, God is holding out on you. And that's a trick, that's a plan, that's a scheme of the enemy to try to convince you that God is holding out. And that's the reason that you're dissatisfied because God is withholding from you. And this causes great dissatisfaction. Listen, dissatisfaction internalized will lead to depression. I can tell you. It will lead to depression. You think one of two things. Either it's my fault. It's my fault. And then to compound that, the devil will say, yeah, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be depressed. So he'll try to convince you that it's your fault. And then he'll try to convince you that you shouldn't feel depressed. You shouldn't be in that place. Or there's another thought that goes along with this feeling of dissatisfaction. It's somebody else's fault. It's either my fault or somebody else's fault. The devil wants to get off scot-free. He wants to remain anonymous. He wants you to ignore him. Right? And try to convince you that God is withholding something from you. That's the reason you're dissatisfied. And it's your fault. It's your fault. Depression can be a result of comparison as well. Look at 1 Kings in chapter 21. There's a king named Ahab in Israel. And he had uh, a lot of money, a lot of fame. And he had a lot of power, but he still wasn't happy because there was one thing that he wanted that he didn't have. He looked out his window every day and he saw a vineyard that belonged to a man named Naboth. And he came to Naboth and he said, sell me your vineyard or I'll trade you a piece of property for the vineyard that you have because I want to make it into a vegetable garden. It was right next door. That was his neighbor, Naboth. And Naboth said, you know, dear king, with all due respect, 
I cannot sell you uh, this land because it's been in my family since our family came to the promised land. Now, this is Kings 21. I'm kind of paraphrasing it. So if you're looking for me to uh, following word for word, I'm, I'm giving you my version of Kings, 1 Kings 21. So Nabal says, I can't, King, as, as much as I would want to, out of respect for you and who you are, I can't sell the land because you know the law of Moses says that that land is deeded to me and my inheritance. And, and so this land that I own actually belongs to my sons and I can't sell it to you. And so the king went home after talking with Naboth. He was sullen and angry because Naboth said, I, I can't give you the inheritance of my fathers. This king who had everything, Ahab, anything that he wanted, he had, he laid down on his bed sulking and he refused to eat. What depression he was in. You know, the guy goes into a tailspin in real depression because he can't get this one piece of property. You know, he's got farms all over the place. He's got palaces in different cities. He's got all kinds of stuff, but there's something just a little bit outside his reach because he can't touch it, he can't grab it. He gets depressed. Think about that. Because money can't buy satisfaction, guys. You know, Satan works to make you think that you're missing out on something. And nobody, even the rich, 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 kings are not immune to that. Ahab had everything, and yet in his mind, he didn't, because he didn't have that one piece of ground, he didn't have anything. Right? So, if you want to put an underline, a, a first, first Kings 21, 4. He was sullen and angry because Naboth could not sell him that one piece of land. So, this dissatisfaction is real. And uh, this dissatisfaction can be identified with the rut that we find ourselves. One huge way that we get in this rut is we fall for the trap of comparison, the comparison trap. Comparison trap. Turn to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. Looking at others, we tend to judge. Right? We tend to judge. And because we look at people from the natural, we say, well, either they have more than me or they have less than me. That's naturally thinking. If they have more than me, we go the next step and, they say, and we say, how did they get more than me? And so we categorize people and judge people when we don't even realize it. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, it's uh, Jesus and his disciples, and they are comparing themselves. Now, this, this happened three different times. But here in Matthew uh, 18, verse 1, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven? Who then is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven? They're asking him, Who is going to be first? Can I be first in line? 
You know, as kids, we would, we would fight over shot, shotgun. Who's going to ride shotgun? That means who's going to ride up in the front of the car. We want to be first. And so his disciples were just thinking of themselves. And Jesus pointed out um, that the greatest of these is, is, is the one that serves. In Mark chapter 9, verses 33 and 34. Mark 9, 33 and 34. It says that they came to Capernaum. And when Jesus was in the house, they asked him, or he asked them, I'm sorry. Jesus came, they were in the house, and he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So evidently they were comparing themselves. Well, I've done this, and I've done that, and since I met Jesus, I've, I've always obeyed him, and you've... You've been wrong, and you haven't done this, and I'm his favorite. And, you know, of course, John thought that he was his favorite. And we have to realize that in our humanness, we begin to compare. But that comparison can pull us down in the rut where we think, you know, there's no, there's no future. There's no hope for me. We also have to realize that we live in a competitive and comparative world. This world of ratings and the quest for five-star, you know, the ratings. When I go to buy something, it's, it's amazing. Uh, Pastor Sheila and I were talking about something that we needed to buy on Amazon. She says, well, I've read all the feedback and, you know, they've talked about this and they've talked about the advantages and the disadvantages. And how many of you sp find yourself spending time reading feedback and ratings on stuff before you buy? Now, that's great, but... Really, um, and, and, and it's good information, but how much time do we spend reading ratings and reviews on stuff before we actually buy them? And how much of it is subconsciously creating in us this judging? Well, I found this on Amazon. Oh, you did? Well, I looked, and I didn't like that because and because and because. And we're comparing. We're comparing our opinion based on the ratings we read, and you read some ratings that I didn't read. And so do you see that it's comparative and competitive? It's a society that we live in. And this game of comparison plays right into the devil's plan to steal, kill, and destroy, to... to to beat us down and pull us back in this rut where life is boring. Now, I'm just going to point out some things in our society that are all about ratings. When someone writes a book, and at the bottom of the book they said, a New York Times bestseller. They're telling you that they're, they're credible. They're a, a credible author because they're a New York Times bestseller. How about in business? If you're a Fortune 100 company, Everyone wants to be at the top. Everybody wants to be the cream of the crop. How about Consumers Reports? Now, Consumers Reports was developed out of a desire to let people know the fault in some products that were being produced for safety reasons, right? But it has evolved now into, you know, a money-making machine to let you know what is the best in their opinion. Consumer reports suggest, suggested products, right? 
But it's all about ratings. It's all about rankings. It's all about scores. How about credit ratings? Your credit ratings. I stepped up to make a deposit at Wells Fargo the other day, and they, they told me, did you know you could check your credit rating online? I said, uh, yeah, okay. Free. On our website. I'm like, wow, okay. You know, it's just sort of built into our culture. We want to know our rating. We want to be the top. We compare ourselves with every other person. There's such dissatisfaction, even in the sports world. I'm kind of changing gears here, but some of the guys can connect with this. That the advent of fantasy sports... And gambling on fantasy sports. Did you know in 2017, there was $3.2 billion that, were, that was exchanged in gambling on fantasy sports? Because we're not satisfied with just watching the game on TV. We have to develop our own team based on different players that we like that we're going to put together on a fantasy team so that we can play someone else's fantasy team so that I can bet on my fantasy team that they're going to win. Do you see how deep we are into this competition and comparison as a society? So is it any wonder that we find ourselves looking at each other thinking, hmm, where did they get those shoes at? Well, how are they to afford that handbag? Why are they driving that? I'm going to ask them when they got that new car. Listen, comparison is deadly. Comparison will lead you into depression. Now, I'm telling you that today, but the devil won't tell you that. He wants you to compare your neighbor. Your neighbor gets something new. You think, well, how did they get that? Well, maybe they're getting ready to move out of our, our neighborhood because they're uppity-uppity. <laughs> right? The world measurement of success, it can, be, it can be linked to two things. Fame and fortune. Fame and fortune. It always has been, always will be. Power and money. Fame, fortune. Fame and fortune. The world, you, you want to be famous. You want to be known for something. If I'm a doctor, then I want to come up with a thesis that no one else has ever thought about. Write a book so that I become published, so that I, people recognize my name, or maybe a disease can be named after me. <laughs> or a, an antidote, right? A, 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 a cure. <laughs> Parkinson's disease. Or, you know, somebody wants to be famous. Let's name, let's name a, a planet after somebody or a star or a constellation after somebody on the earth. Like, really? God is the one that made everything. But we want to claim it and name it, right? It belongs to us. That's fame. That's the world's measurement of success. But Jesus said about fame, he said that the last will be first and the first will be last. Right? Talking about dissatisfaction now. And how it's related to comparison. How about fortune? Fortune. The wise, rich ruler. Or the young, rich ruler. Sorry. He wasn't too wise, was he? Uh, young, rich ruler said, I, 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 I've done all these things. What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, just 
hey, just one little thing stands in your way. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and then follow me. He became very dissatisfied because his satisfaction was, was in his riches, right? And he couldn't part with those riches because his satisfaction was, was in things. Jesus was telling him or showing him that those things had it attached to him and he loved those things more obviously than he loved Jesus because he didn't do what Jesus asked him to do. How about uh, the widow's might? Jesus said... This woman has given more than everyone in the room, and she only gave two coins that day. How about the prostitute, Mary Magdalene, that poured out the oil on Jesus' feet and wiped her hair and anointed Jesus with the perfume, costly perfume. It, it, it was said that it's valued at like a one-year, normal one-year salary of someone. Think about that. And Jesus paid attention to these two women that gave, but yet sent this young rich ruler on his way because he was so attached to things. So the world's measurement of success is not God's measurement of success. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. This is the living Bible. The living Bible. It says, oh, don't worry. I wouldn't dare say that I'm as wonderful as these other men who tell you how good they are. Their trouble is that they're only comparing themselves with each other and measuring themselves against their own little ideas. What stupidity. What stupidity. I know they have another version up there on the screen, but... If you go and look up the Living Bible, TLB, just make a note of it and look. It's at, the, at the very end of this comparison, the Scripture said, what, what stupidity? I mean, why compare yourselves with yourselves? As if you establish your own value or allow someone else to establish the value that God places on you. In order to get out of the rut, in order to see what God has for you, you've got to look again at God's promise and provision. God's promise and his provision. This high calling, the high calling of God in Christ that he's called us to. That's step number one. We need to see God's purpose and God's provision to come up and out of the rut. You've got to lift up your eyes. Quit looking around you. Begin to look up. Say that with me. Quit looking around me and look up. Let's say it again. Quit looking around me and begin to look up. Yes. Look for God's purpose and His provision. People of purpose, people of God's purpose, and people of God's provision aren't attracted by what other people do, what other people think. And they see the big picture. You know, the Bible says that, that, that we should focus on. Paul said, he said, I count all of those things in my past as dead and gone. The good and the bad. So that I can press toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ for me. 
God has a high calling of Christ for you. Don't allow other people to grab your steering wheel and use your gas pedal in your life. God has a purpose and He has a plan. He wants you to see the big picture, to come out of this tunnel vision. You know, we all can develop tunnel vision. Let me just give you an indication of the tunnel vision. You start seeing the glass half empty. Everything becomes negative. Debbie Downer. And forgive me if there's any Debbies in here. But everything's negative. Negative, 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 negative. That's an indication that you've developed this tunnel vision. Like the guy who was saying, you know, God, give me a fish. And God doesn't give you a fish. Or he doesn't give you what you asked for. Instead, God gives you a tackle box. A rod and reel, a line and lures, and worms and a hook. He doesn't just give you a fish. He gives you a way of catching fish. People that get discouraged because they don't see what they prayed for. And they think that God didn't answer their prayer. They become tunnel vision. They become negative. They begin judging God where God has resourced them, provided for them, given them purpose and provision. But they're refusing to see it because it didn't come the way that they wanted it to come. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 in the Message Bible. (laughs) This is very familiar. This passage in the Message Bible is really, really, really good. But listen, here's what it's talking about before before I read the Scripture is talking about changing your mindset. Leaving the mindset of the world, which is, I'll never have enough. I'll never get ahead. I'll never be anything. I'll never do anything. I'm just a nobody. Where I was years ago, thinking, what am I doing here? I made a mistake. I made a wrong turn. Surely God doesn't even care about me anymore. Hey, guys, this is, this is where deep, dark depression, excessive misery, oh, <laughs> those of you who remember, hee-haw, right? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery, oh, if it weren't for bad luck, I had no luck at all, gloom, despair. Listen, as a child, now, I was so... You guys are laughing, but I was subject to that. I was, uh, as a child, I didn't have a choice. I was over at my grandmother and grandfather's house, Granny and Papa. We were at Granny and Papa's house, and they had on the TV program, Hee Haw. Oh, Lord. Watch it in order to see what not to do. But the, the devil wants to suck you down the deep depression pit and, and, and play games with your mind. And so this passage of Scripture, listen, guys, is talking about mindset. Your mindset has got to change. Quit being negative. But the only way you can quit being negative is you've got 
to allow the Holy Spirit with the Word of God to renew, 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 and reprogram your mind. Let's read this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. See, you can't do this on your own. God has to help you do this. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, that means every minute of every day, and place it before God as an offering. And, I, and I, I think it's insinuated there that you do this every day because he said your everyday ordinary life. So take your everyday life every day and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Right? Instead, here's how you get out of the rut. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. If you'll just fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. If you just fix your attention on God, you're going to be changed from the inside out. It may not happen by this coming Friday at 5 o'clock, but you're going to be on the road to change. Just like I said earlier, God right now by the Spirit is taking you by your hand and leading you out of that rut where you can start seeing things that you haven't seen before, where you start feeling courage that you haven't felt before. If you'll allow the Holy Spirit, if you'll fix your attention on God, you're allowing at the very same time, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to bring you up and out of a pit that you found yourself in. And don't worry about how you got there. It's not important how you got there, whose fault it was. It's important to get out. It says you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. To readily recognize what God wants for you, you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then you've got to quickly respond to it. So that's, his part is to make you aware of what he wants you to see. Your part is to obey what he tells you to do. Then it says, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Again, to re-emphasize, the culture says, what you don't have, who you aren't, what you cannot do, the education that you don't have, the money that you don't have, negative, 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 negative. But what God is saying, look up for your redemption draws nigh. As I am, so are you in this world. I have a purpose. I have a plan for you. I've designed you for greatness. Listen, it's greatness when you can lead one person to Jesus and tell them, tell them that, that, that God loves them and show them from the Word that His promises are true and real. Right? Don't let the culture around you drag you down to its level of maturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So, look at Romans eight thirty-two. God's provision and His purpose are already on the inside of you. Already on the inside of you. If you're born again, God's purpose and His provision are already on the inside of you. It's a package deal. When you received Jesus, you received all that you need to fulfill his will on this earth. Now, if you haven't received Jesus, today at the end of the service, you'll have a chance to. 
But I'm telling you, if you have received Jesus and you are walking with him and following Jesus, you are a Jesus follower, you have everything that you need on the inside of you to complete the assignment that he has given you. Maybe you don't see five steps down the road, but listen, let me tell you, you don't need to see five steps down the road. You just need to see the next step. You just need to see the next step. I was there when I didn't even see the next step. But he'll show you the next step. Look at Romans 8.32. It says, he who did not spare his own son. See, God did not withhold anything from anybody. God is not a withholder. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? And those all things, there's a condition on that. All things means all things that we need to accomplish what he's called us to do. All things that you need to accomplish what you need to do. Right? Two things we want to do this morning. Press in and press on. Press in and press on. This is the last, last point, guys. Press in and press on. But notice the word, the verb there. Press. It's going to take you doing something. God has a plan. He has provision. He has purpose. But you've got to press. You've got to press to get out of the rut. You've got to press. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first, or seek first, his kingdom. That's the same thing as pressing. Pressing into God. Pressing into God. Spend time with him. Seek his face more than you do the advice of other people. Stay off the phone and go to the throne. (laughs) Stay off the phone and go to the throne. Because the people you're talking to don't have any more uh, insight than you have. Especially not about your life. God is really not in the business of telling other people what you should do. Now, in the Old Testament, there was, there was a, the office of a prophet. And that's how God led a nation called Israel. In the New Testament, he's given us the Holy Spirit. So I'm not sitting at home waiting around for somebody to call me to tell me what God wants me to do today. It's the job of the Holy Spirit, who is my helper. He's my comforter. He's my leader. He's my guide. He's my strengthener. He's, he stands by me. To take me to the next step. So when I press into God, I find the next step. The more that you seek God's kingdom, the less that you will seek your own kingdom. Listen, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Just do a study of those in the Bible that had to persevere. Those that had to persevere. Abraham had a promise from God for a son. A son of promise. It was 25 years off. Do you, do, you, do you think there were times where he said, you know what? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. If I didn't have this woman, maybe I... I mean, she, she was the one that volunteered the handmaiden. I mean, hey. <laughs> obstacle after obstacle. Challenge after challenge. Don't grow weary in well-doing, guys. Don't give up. Your breakthrough is right there at the next step. 
You're coming up and out of the rut. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm, I'm coming up and out of the rut. Listen, when, when you're feeling low and that nobody cares for you and, you're, and you, you've been forgotten and you feel like uh, you've lost your last friend and there's not a soul in this world who cares about you, and I've been in that spot where I felt like I was completely forsaken, I know how to not go into that mode. I decided at that point to start encouraging somebody. Start encouraging somebody. We were in Oklahoma City, and the Lord showed us that we were going to move overseas. We knew where we were going to move, to Italy. And I was working. And it didn't seem like it was going to happen too quickly. But that's okay, because we learned patience. And the way that the Lord has led Pastor Sheila and I, we've learned patience. So in that moment... I began to begin to encourage other people around me that I could see. I, it didn't even occur to me that they were discouraged. I just encouraged people because that's what I needed. The Holy Spirit in me led me to encourage people. This was before the Internet. So some of you can remember this. <laughs> some of you can't, but some of you can. I had a book that had uh, one chapter. It was like one page or one and a half pages in this book. It was one chapter that had one to two scriptures in it and then bullet points of, of nuggets from the Word of God. Positive nuggets from the Word of God. I would take this book, I would put it on the copy machine. You remember what that is? And I'd make a copy of it. And then I would fax it. Anybody remember what a fax machine is? I would fax it to my friends. And I would fax it to five or six people. And I would do that every day, just sending out things. Because it forced me. It forced me to do... It was my accountability team for being encouraged. You know, David was depressed at one point. David was depressed. He came back from a battle and found that all the women and children were... were Taken, the town was burned, and then his guys started turning them against him. So he had to encourage himself in the Lord. And so there was a time way back that I used to just remember that story. I would take a book, copy it off on the copy machine, and send it out by the fax machine. And people would come. If, if I was like a couple of hours late in the morning sending out my daily encouraging fax they would call me on the phone. Where's the facts? <laughs> Where's the facts? They needed encouragement. I had no idea that these people needed encouragement. But I began to encourage myself and make myself a vessel of encouragement. So today, that's the takeaway today, guys. If you've been in a rut and you can't see the next step, just take the initiative to be a vessel of encouragement. Be a vessel of encouragement. Begin to see the glass half full. When, when Debbie Downer comes up and she says, you know, nah, it'll never happen. Not God's will. Say, listen, I know my God. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that led captivity captive. God sees the glass half full. And not just half full, above half full. Above half full. 
I'm an above half full person. If, if you're negative and depressed, and, and, and now I'll pray for you. I love you. But it, it's hard to, to hang around people that are encouraged and, you don't, and you're not getting encouraged. And that's what I want to encourage you to be as an encourager. Let's everybody stand up. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm encouraged. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm going to be an encourager. Be an encourager. Why? Because the world is filled with discouragement. This world is filled with depression. That's why the question somebody would ask, I feel like I'm in a rut and life is passing me by. I feel like I'm living in a rut and life is passing me by. What should I do? Look up. Press in. Press on. Remember God's provision. Remember God's faithfulness. He hasn't brought you this far to leave you right here. He has great plans. Jeremiah eleven twenty nine, Right? He knows the thoughts that He has towards you. Let me just say, by the Spirit right now, the Lord knows the thoughts that He has toward you. And He's saying to you, those thoughts are good. He's a good, good Father. I have good thoughts towards you. Thoughts of peace. Thoughts of increase. Thoughts of health. If you've been dealing with, with sickness in your body today, when, if, if you get prayed for today up here, you'll, you'll, you, you will experience breakthrough in your body. Believe. Believe that God has provision and answers for you today. As I dismiss, if you need prayer, you come forward. Don't hesitate. You don't have to be a member of Lifeway Church. But please don't hesitate to come for prayer. Listen, God hears big, big, big questions, small requests, big requests, and He wants to meet every one of them. Right? There's nothing too small or too big for God. A lot of times we just need agreement. Right? No one is beyond needing prayer. So why don't, why don't the, the prayer team, why don't you come take your place? I want to ask everybody a question. Um, if you're in here and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've never uh, asked Jesus into your heart, maybe you've never surrendered to him, or maybe you have at one point, but you've been walking away from him and you want to come back. You want to come back in close fellowship with him. I want us to, to confess this prayer. 